You're listening to the Vocal Fry Podcast, your weekly dash of voice science, pedagogy, and pop culture. Coming to you from Vormir, may Black Widow rest in peace. I mean, actually, you're the only one that would know because you're the one that then has to go see. Like, did she, did she click when I nodded at her? Nah, it all in, it all it all it all lines up pretty darn well, to be honest. Good, good. That makes me feel I, better. I haven't really, I haven't. Uh, other than that one day where we did all the weird stuff, that day I had to adjust a little bit. The day that you did. Wait, are you talking about the day that you did stuff and none of the sound actually came through? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That, that 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 all those days that well, at least that first one. But uh, well, we gave it a shot. <laughs> but uh, I mean, listen, we are still both the little podcast that could, and also, yeah. <laughs> and also the podcast to listen to if you want to go back and learn how to not start a podcast. <laughs> not necessarily in terms of content. Yeah, no, we we talk okay. But uh, like, definitely in terms of audio editing. It's come a long way. It's yeah. from the beginning. I mean, that's that's for sure. Uh, um, I'm not sure. And I- it's sad. We had some good content right off the bat. We did. They just didn't sound great. I mean, it's, it doesn't sound terrible. It's not like it's unlistenable. Is that a word? It feels like it's a word. It was particularly wonderful as long as Michael wasn't chewing into a microphone. Oh, yeah. 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 Don't, don't like. Hard pass. Anyway, Vocal Fam, what is up? What is up? Uh, so it's been a crazy week. Sarah and I are actually recording a day early this exactly. week because yours truly tomorrow, if you happen to be listening to this on Friday, I will be taking a bit of a one day off. Um, Exciting. Well, that was Aria. Some people dared to walk past our back window. I'm so sorry. Like, I saw it because I saw them walk into view a second before she saw them. And so I knew it was coming. But there, I didn't, there was nothing I could do. Aria, don't go Bork. Who? Well. Not to be confused with going Bjork. Yeah. Um, Because then she would, what is Bjork? Swedish? Probably. Icelandic? Don't know. Anyway, so sorry for that. But, Y'all just uh, got a little insight into my everyday life because that happens. Yeah, a lot. Um, but what I was gonna say is I'm gonna be out tomorrow uh, because I happen to have been gifted by a very dear friend whose company was gifted passes for the Sanderson Farms Open PGA Tour event here in Jackson. <laughs> And they are not just passes; they're actually luxury box seat passes with free food and drink. Oh, that's so awesome. we will be enjoying uh, lunchtime buffets and free diet cokes. And yeah, I would a hundred percent be doing that too. Overlooking the 18th green at Jackson Country Club. That's so, awesome. Uh, I'm gonna have a day You're off because be... I've been working very hard. I get that. I kind of did that yesterday. I, I uh, just was kind of burnt out and just I decided like you know what there's nothing that I really have to get done this morning before I go to work 
that right. can't be done Thursday, Friday, whatever. And so I'm just not not going to do anything. So I ended up watching. I found out that like a few seasons of The Nanny are on like the Roku channel, which is a thing. There's actually a lot of surprisingly good stuff on the Roku channel. And like you can pay for kind of a delay. It's kind of like Hulu used to be where like you can watch a lot of stuff for free, but it has a bunch of ads. But then there's better stuff. Like if you want to like unlock the premium stuff, you have to pay, which of course now Hulu, if you want to watch anything, I think you have to pay. Yes, or it'd have to get it with one of your other subscriptions. Yeah, but there was a time when there were like TV shows and movies on Hulu that you could watch for free. Yes, yes, I recall. Because I watched a really weird version of Beauty and the Beast from like the 1980s. It was trippy. Actually, it was a lot more like the book, if you've ever read the like original story. But it was, it was, it was, um, special as far as like writing acting, etc. Well, first, I'd like to say that no one is surprised that you've actually read the original <laughs> Beauty and the Beast source material. No, yeah, well, you gotta. No. Um, okay, you don't have so no to. One is, but... No one is surprised. That's pretty good as far as fairy tales go. Not as gruesome as some of them. Uh, anyway, so, Vocal Fam, last week, I put Sarah on the spot... Uh, as we're working on a project currently together. And I put her on the spot because I wanted to get her gut reactions essentially to questions about her experiences in the different iterations of learning voice resonance and voice acoustics during the times she either took it as a section of a course or as a course unto itself. And uh, she did a wonderful job at answering those questions. Considering but, uh, she had no idea that was coming. Considering that she, it was of course a lovely. So I, had I would, to I would point think you. Think it up as I went along. I, I, <laughs> uh, and we all know Sarah loves being put on the spot. Oh yeah, I thought about that later. I was just like, pretty sure that's in my bio, multiple places. Just don't like being put on the spot, and yet there I was. And like, it's a podcast too. So you can't really just have long, silent pauses where I could really think up a good answer. So I'm like slowly eking out sentences as my brain is going, uh, what what do I think? So that was interesting. Oh, there must be some more people. I don't know if you got to hear some Uh, more walking. (laughs) Bjorking. The Bjorking. I don't know. I don't know why I call it borking. Like she's barking. Okay, I get it. Like the word is bark. She's barking. But for some reason, I'm like, nah. It's bork, bork, bork. And dog, uh, much bork. But it would be funnier because like Bjork sometimes dresses as animals. So that's true. Is like that? I think she dresses like a duck sometimes. Yeah, no, Arya's not a duck. Arya barks at ducks, chases ducks, tries to eat duck poop. Very much interest in duck, but not duck. Yeah. Yeah. Not a duck. So we, sorry. Anyway, getting well, that back being on topic. <laughs> so if I might point you before you listen to this week's episode back to last week's episode, what we, which we called "Learning the Path of the Warrior," and this week I asked Sarah. I actually gave her the prompt ahead of time to prepare questions for me. As if she had been given the opportunity either to teach a ped class and have a resonance, you know, uh, 
portion of the course, a unit on resonance in the class, or if she actually had been asked to teach like a, a course where she was actually teaching voice acoustics. And so I have absolutely no idea what she's going to ask That's me. True. I'm I'm a little mortified. You probably shouldn't be. The, the questions, I will say, they vary from like sort of specifically tailored to as if I was teaching a pedagogy class, a resonance course, something like that, to more just in general teaching higher education classes. Ooh. Um, okay, th- those questions I probably am qualified to answer. Well, <laughs> and I will say that like as a as a disclaimer beforehand, one of the things I've decided just after really starting teaching classes at all this year is that I think half of the questions I wouldn't even know what to ask until I actually was in that first year because there are things that have popped up that I've had to text you text your wife and ask about that I just had never even considered like that that would be an issue or a thing if that makes sense but I mean that is just you using your mentors in your life who will continue to evolve as you go through life and actually asking questions that's just good teaching i mean that's just look vocal fam anyone who's been doing this a while will acknowledge that if you think when you're a young teacher and you come out that you have all the answers sorry i just tried to oh my i'm not eating anything no it's not him my dog decided maybe we do a little snack do you need to take it away from her no i think she's gonna ignore it now we're still very focused on the people walking around it's very that sounds right yeah i was hoping that wouldn't happen because she was taking a nap and i was like great she'll sleep through the podcast we won't have to worry about barking and yelling but no not today but anyway, anyway uh so here we are, and I think I'm going to call this episode, obviously, because you're going to see the title before I name it, sure. but I called last week Learning the Path of the Warrior, so today we're going to call this Teaching the Path of the Warrior. I like it. Be- because I've always said that if you can have a basic understanding even of the first vocal tract resonance and its interactions uh, in female and male, or I should say treble and non-treble singing, uh, that um, that it too can make you a Jedi Master voice teacher. So right. uh, anyway, forgive my use of of uh, pro- binary pronouns there. I, I I'm still 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 growing, still learning. Anyway, Sarah. Uh, okay. Okay. I, I have no idea where you're starting or where we're going. Well, um, so oh god. Also, gosh. don't expect where I start to be an indicator of anything. These questions are kind of in the order, literally, just that I thought them. So it's not like. They super progress. Um, The first thing I thought of was just when you're teaching, especially like, let's say, kind of an undergrad level course, how do you decide how in-depth to go on a topic? Like, how do you decide, like, where do you stop? How much does that student or does a class need to know? Sure. So the first thing I would say about that is... What they need to know on a topic probably varies by topic. Um, And at no point, even in a doctoral level seminar, are you going to have a comprehensive knowledge of a subject surrounding voice. 
Makes sense. And, and I say that because any expert in any field would tell you that when you first learn a topic, you feel like you know everything about the topic. Mm-hmm. The more you learn about a topic, the less you think you know. And in fact, you realize that you don't know much. And then at some point along the path toward expertise or along the path toward being a warrior, you realize that there is a advantage in recognizing that which you don't know. Okay. So I think the very first thing I would say is it varies by topic and it is an incredibly important question. I also, now, let's deal with it in specific regards to teaching voice. Okay. On any topic. There are things about the science of voice production that are completely impractical for a singer to know. Okay. That is a different level So if you're just teaching a voice class where the primary goal is to get the students in the class to learn to sing, Mm -hmm. most of our motor learning theory would tell you that you should spend a majority of the class singing. Makes sense. (laughs) Um, And I would say the same about voice lessons. I try to explain very little in voice lessons anymore. Okay. Unless I'm asked a question. That makes sense. If I am asked a specific question about a specific thing, I will offer what I still won't be a complete answer, but I think you have to get around the idea that it's okay that what you're telling are essentially half-truths. Okay. Because there's a question of what is useful and there's a question of what is true. Yeah, that's true. And so even as a singing teacher, you have to be asking yourself in a lesson, what do they really need to know? And the reality is, again, most of our motor learning stuff is suggesting that they're going to learn and progress the most by singing. What? So hold on. I'm getting to, so I'm getting to the class idea. Okay. Now... If we're talking about then the training of singing teachers, I think it depends because I think it depends on the level of study. And you asked me about undergraduate. Yeah, I was just thinking th- basic, like that voice pedagogy class that I took as an undergrad student. Sure, like 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 what a lot of undergraduate universities would just have as their undergraduate voice pedagogy. Yes. And it would be a three-credit course and whatever. Exactly. And and so, again, I would say it varies by topic. I now spend a lot less time talking about anatomy and physiology, particularly anatomy itself. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think there are advantages to knowing anatomy mm-hmm. and to being able to name and identify muscles. But at the same time... With an app like Visible Body, one, that process goes much faster. Two, if you have access to a cadaver lab or an actual excised larynx, that process can go faster. And three, we have many more materials like fairly good 
animated videos of like respiration. Yeah, that's true. That are freely available on the internet. And the bottom line is the magic box of the iPhone or the computer will answer so many questions about anatomy and physiology that that are that my job in regards to a lot of topics in undergraduate pedagogy is not to give them a complete answer. Yeah. It's to train them about how to find out more complete answers that they might be looking for. Okay, that's a good that's a good point. Because even if I send them down, okay, so uh, um this semester, and as I did last fall, I'm having them do a research presentation again where they have to find yeah. 10 sources and I'm trying to, they have to ask a question. They want to know about the singing voice. I'm trying to guide them toward more academic sources, things in Journal of Voice, things in, I'm, a, I, I'm you know, I'm of course allowing articles in Journal of Singing, things like that might even be in voice prints or the Vasta journal. They can also go more heady if they want to look at an article from something like laryngology mm-hmm. or logopedics or if they have access to them. Sometimes our institution we don't have access to some of those some of those well, journals. Well, and especially, you know, if you're training them to be able to do that later in life, a lot of what you teach are people that are going to be high school music teachers, choral directors, and unless they're subscribing to journals, they're not going to have access sure. to those potentially at sure. all. And one of the things that I try to educate them about is why a source is valid. Yeah. Is the journal peer reviewed? When was it published? You know, you know, looking at things of, of this nature, because, you know, I'll use my dissertation as an example. My dissertation at this point, I view more as a historical artifact than I would as a modern voice pedagogy resource. Okay. And and my dissertation was written in 2008. Okay. It's funny you say that. That leads me into another of my questions, actually. Um. So anyway, I, I think a lot of the job on any topic is to introduce the important concepts that they need to be able to effectively teach a beginning voice student. Okay. And and if they can do that, which is very difficult after just one semester of pedagogy anyway, particularly if that pedagogy class does not include a practicum. Yes, yes. Then, because that's another issue we should get into is the issue of practicum. Um, but you know, that's where I try to leave it is what gets them ready to teach the first voice lesson of a beginning voice student at any age or any style. Okay. Just a beginning. I'm going to help you make better noises and teach you to sing a song. Okay. Um, and. But also to educate them of, hey, if you want to know about human voicing, it's really complex. And I'm willing to say, this is really complex. Here is a model of human voicing, but it's way more complex than this. Yeah, that makes sense. So anyway, going on. Um, well, first, before I kind of transition into what you had sort of led me into as far as like my next question, I do want to jump back because... You made me think of a different question. Just This is more about voice teaching. Shoot. You mentioned how like when you're teaching students, you have gotten to where you either give half-truths or you don't explain a lot. I don't know if this is something you experience much 
maybe you used to and don't anymore. Maybe you never have. How do you deal with when you have a newer student doing an exercise that maybe seems a little out there to them, such as singing through a straw or just if I like have them do a backstroke or something physical while they're singing, when they ask, why did you make me do that? Do you just say, you know, I'd rather not answer that right now? Or like, how do you deal with that? I think that depends on the specific situation. Mm -hmm. I, I probably deal with it differently from from time to time. Um, you know, one of the things that... Um, you know, Empress Vocal Fry and I were talking about yesterday at lunch, actually, was the idea that if a student does present with an attitude that is sort of like, I wish I didn't have to make this crazy noise and that we could just sing a song, what do you do? Yeah. Because a lot of our worship majors, when they're coming into school, they've never trained on voice. They've sung a bunch of worship songs, but they've never trained as a singer. Yeah. And so making any noise... That's not just singing. And, and to, to you and I, when you and I think of like more odd things, we think about things like, you know, an S-O-V-T-E. Yeah. We think about things like, you know, th things of this nature, um, calling to someone or, you know, th this kind of thing, doing a vocal fry, whatever. But going, yah, 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 to a lot of these you know, beginning voice students who have never studied before, that's a weird noise to them. Yeah, that's true. Singing a major scale on a vowel is a weird thing to them. Yeah. And so, I mean, again, I think it, it varies on the, on the person, on the situation. I've been trying to present with a lot of these freshmen that I have this year, um, or new students. I have a couple of transfers. Um, I've been trying to present them the idea that a just of what a voice lesson really looks like. But now, once we've been working for a while, if they, uh, you know, so it, it, once we've been working for even over a month, mm -hmm. let's say, if they ask me, you know, wh why are we, why are we vocalizing? I, I, I will give them a response. I will say something like, well, part of it is just to f so that you gain confidence and feel like your voice is ready to sing through a song. Mm -hmm. In other words, warming yes. up. Um, and then I explain a little bit of the difference between doing a vocalese and a warm up that sort of is so well laid out in John Nix's article on 21st century vocalizing. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that difference that a vocalese is designed to stretch you into something different and a warm-up is just to prepare you to sing. Yes. Um, and so, like, I'll present, like, hey, the, the purpose of this is to stretch you into doing something that is that is different, that you can't do. Yes. And I might give them, for example, one of the things I've done this semester with at least a couple of students is... Um, a lot I have some really really talented voices that like if I just had them sing a worship song or sing like a musical theater big ballad thing that they know like they can do it. Yeah. But if I ask them to move their voice fast oh, just on like a just on a little you know, exercise. Like a, you know whatever, you know, fast moving or whatever just a fast moving exercise scale arpeggio whatever 
they get lost. Yeah. Because they don't they don't have the fine motor coordination. They've never they've never tried to do that before. Yeah. And so I give them an exercise that immediately pushes them past what they're capable of. Okay. And then I'll give them an idea of of how like for example, one of the things I've been do, saying this week. <laughs> she is so one of the annoying. Things, one of the things I've been saying this week has been like the idea that listen, to move to make that exercise happen, to move your voice that fast, you don't have to even though the pitches are moving really fast, I want you to think that your breath and your re- and your tone, I don't even use the word resonance. Mm-hmm. I want you to think that your breath and your tone, your basic sound are staying consistent even though pitch is bouncing all around. Yeah. And for some of them, that immediately clicks it into place, and they're like, "Oh wow, I, I've, uh, I've, you know, I, I didn't think I could do that." Yeah. Um, for others, you know, on, on a thing like you said, with like the thing of of uh, like doing a backstroke, something to engage the body, engage the breath, you know, whatever. I, I think at that point, if I was having them do that, I might explain just in a if if I can make it as short as possible, explain why. Okay. No, that's just something um, I was curious because, like, I, I have gotten questions, which I get because, like, even if they have maybe done voice lessons before, done choir, that doesn't necessarily, when you think voice lesson, you don't necessarily think backstroke, swimming exercise. You know, you don't think exercise as in, like, a literal movement of your body right. or straws. Well, and something like the backstroke thing, you know, one of the things that you can present to them is the idea of a singer being an athlete. Oh, I have, believe me, I have done that. You know, so, I mean, that can be part of it. The other thing I would say is also, in every lesson, this is a piece of advice that I got, and I, I, I probably didn't share this much with you guys, but I've been thinking about it recently a lot. Um, I think in every lesson even if the focus of the lesson was to quote unquote vocalize mm-hmm. and you know build technique build mm-hmm. i think we should do some music yes and and a meaning like actually sing a song even if it's just we're going to sing this song right now and before you go oh. and here's why i remember during my doctorate in fact it was in it was in my teaching music in higher ed class which was taught by our music education, one of our music education professors who was an associate dean at that point. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget this. He said, in every, every day of every class you teach, make music somehow. Yeah, I like that. That has stuck with me over these last, you know, however many, it's almost been 15 years now since I was in doctor school. Um, it, that that s- statement has, there's a bunch of things from that class that have stuck with me, but that is something that has always stuck with me. Okay. I like that. Anyway, so No, that's something that I've kind of tried to do because another part of my rationale with like having them end singing something, I'll even try to pick something that maybe isn't what we've been working on technically wise. I'll try to go back and be like, yeah, let's just sing through these first few pages again that they're really comfortable with because I like it if they can leave feeling good Absolutely. about themselves i don't want them Absolute. leaving feeling discouraged because then that leaves a bet i don't know that, that's just been sort of something i've done you you never leave the driving range on a bad shot exactly so i try to make sure they leave on a high note but that's always okay no, i like that we're, we're not oh, they're not tenors 
Anyway, back to pedagogy class now that I've... Tenors live life on a high note, baby. Oh, gosh. Well, now that we followed that <laughs> rabbit down the trail, let's, I'm going to steer us okay, back that to may, class. That might have been my most tenery 30 seconds of this entire podcast history. I don't know. It, it's got some competition. I'd have to go back and find it, but but there there have been moments. Moments. Anyway. There have been moments. Anywho, so Anywho. you know, you mentioned your dissertation, thinking of it as a more of a historical thing at this point. And so one of my questions had been, you know, we have like it's science, and so it's constantly changing and there's new information, discoveries, ideas, theories. How oh, do you decide moment. what new information to incorporate? Like at what point is it standard enough that you want to teach it to your class? And at what point do you start phasing out older ideas? This is not an easy discussion. Yeah, I know. This is a very fine question. Well, you walked yourself into that, it, friend. <laughs> that has been asked of me already by... <laughs> walked by again. That has been asked of me professionally uh, This very for this very semester. Someone had been asked... Uh, to teach a residence unit Mm -hmm. and they were asking and they know of they know they they know linear source filter theory yeah and they know non-linear source filter theory and they've also been presented with ideas of decay tail and those of you who don't know what that is you can ask ian howell um, <laughs> yeah, um you know. but but there are all sorts again of questions about human voicing that are um as ian would put it little black boxes and the question is even once you are answering those black boxes for yourself or even as research you know for example one of the things when you guys were in graduate acoustics yes I made you read the Chen. Yes, yes. And the the vo- journal of voice Julian Julian Chen 2019, 2018, 2019, yeah. whatever. Anyway, um, which is sort of uh, examining a a way of voice analysis that makes one question whether the human singing voice actually produces harmonic sound. Mm-hmm. Um, which. Those of you who know basic acoustics and voice acoustics and have been presented a source filter model are going, wait, the human voice doesn't produce harmonics? We're not saying that. We're just saying that there are some models out there that are considering whether or not that happens. Yeah. So again, going back to the idea of what do you present to like an undergraduate course? Yes. This is a very complex question. I think there is an answer that as a professor, part of your job is to stay incredibly up to date mm-hmm. in in at least your area of research, if not most voice ped areas of research, at least by reading the research, going to conferences, etc. Um, and 
even then, it becomes very difficult to stay up on all the research, even within a micro-discipline of a subfield of a discipline. Yeah. And... But I do think that it is your job to try. Makes sense, makes sense. Now, there's also the point of as information is developed, part of the process of like publication and peer review and conference peer evaluation for acceptance to present is the idea that you may have made a major discovery mm-hmm. but has it been put through academic rigor enough for it to be disseminated to the greater population of the voice community Makes sense. then there's the further question of do i one is this worthy truly worthy of being presented in this manner mm-hmm and do I, as an individual, can I synthesize it well enough? Because that's really your job in teaching, mm-hmm. is to synthesize. We, we can't be purveyors of information anymore as teachers. I don't care if it's high school teaching, college teaching, whatever teaching. We can't just be purveyors of information where I sit <laughs> upon my ivory tower and I give you musical knowledge. That's not our job anymore because the internet has destroyed all of that. Yeah. Our job is to synthesize ideas, make them digestible, and and turn those back into applicable things that a voice teacher could then use in a practical setting. Yeah, I think that makes sense. One of the beautiful things at this point, we've been dealing with source filter theory long enough that it can be easily digestible if explained in a concise way to practically any singing teacher yes does that mean they'll have a full working understanding of it no No. i would also say the same thing i'm prepared to say the same thing about concepts essentially of auditory roughness in, in in particularly in regards to treble voices i agree with that um and even if they don't really like even if you're not fully aware that maybe that's what it is you know and Going through high school choir before I ever knew what auditory roughness was, I knew that we were being told about having that ring or the ping or the sparkle, you know what I mean? Which is essentially that upper noise. Right. Um, Even though it doesn't come from the part of the physiology that everyone told everyone it was part of. It's a different conversation. Different conversation. But this is a good good example that... Here's the unfortunate part about your question. I think that you need to level with your students as I do at the beginning of every pedagogy course mm-hmm. and then reiterate it that the in and I know that for example Matt Edwards does this at the CCM Institute at Shenandoah. I make a big point of the idea that the information that I'm giving them is the best information that I think is usable and accurate in 2019 yeah and i tell them if you take this course two years from now the likelihood that it will be the same is very small and so there's also the point of when you're teaching any topic regarding voice because 
we're still learning so much about human voicing, mm-hmm. aerodynamics, mm-hmm. acoustics, psychoacoustics, motor learning theory, the brain, which probably is the big next thing the next decade, I think, is probably the brain and singing. That makes sense. Um, we continue to learn so much. Yes. That the field keeps evolving. And so we need to be telling our students, you need to be prepared. And that's, again, why I, I, what I want them to know is where to look for new information. Yeah, that makes sense. That way they can, again, you're, you're about making lifelong learners. And how to evaluate the validity of a source that's only self-published or online. Yeah, that's smart. Because not all information in new media, as Dr. Howell pointed out in a Journal of Singing article, is the same validity because some of it includes citations, some of it does not include citations. And you, our students need to know how to evaluate those materials. Well, and even everything that is published in a journal, as we have talked about before, does not necessarily mean it's super credible information. I mean, we've had whole discussions well, on that. But... Or even if it was published by leading figures in the field, hashtag N equals one. Moving on. Exactly. But anyway, so, okay, I'll, I'll step back to a slightly easier question following this. Um, Thank goodness, because right? that's not, an, and I didn't even answer that fully. You did not, but, but that's okay. I didn't really expect you to, because that is like such a nuanced, loaded question. I just kind of wanted we to know what your to... mind was on it. And we, as Vocal Fry, and, and as part of our brand, we need to make that a nuanced response because there are things that I might say about that que- last question in personal conversation that I'm not prepared to say so, in a public forum. I agree. I agree. Well, so my next question is just pretty standard. What books are you using this year in your undergrad pedagogy class? Ah, that's a fine question. Um, I have been using this um, since it came out for undergrad ped. I've been using Dr. McCoy's book, Your Voice, The Basics, mm-hmm. that he published in 2015. Mm-hmm. I'm still using that as my basic text in first semester undergraduate pedagogy. Um, I think that it provides uh, a good information dump that allows me to then summarize other articles as well, supplement with other things, other materials. But, you know, one of the biggest, I will say, I have considered transitioning to the vocal athlete. Okay, I've seen a lot about Uh, that recently. I've considered using other materials, like what every singer needs to know about the body, um, things of of, of this nature. I Here's one of my things, though, that... I think as long as it's as long as the book itself is not a how to sing or specifically how to teach. And what I mean by that is I would reference something along the lines of Jim McKinney's Diagnosis and Correction of Vocal Faults, which if you're teaching western classical singing alone, 
or even some things about other styles, reading Dr. McKinney's book is totally great. It was a very brave book when he wrote it. It was the first book that ever laid out the idea of here's a problem and here is a list of eight things that I do in order to fix it. Well, and it can be super helpful. Like, you know, if you are starting out as a voice teacher and you have an issue and you just kind of blank and you're like, what yes. should I do to help this student? At the same time, I would argue that the entire basis of the book is style driven. Yes, I agree with that too. And one of the things that I have done with all of my materials is to attempt to make them uh, uh, a term that I've seen uh, on the forum, at least Dan Mitten use, which is style agnostic. I like that. Um, I like that phrase, style agnostic. I think it's a, I think it's a worthwhile phrase. And I do. I mean, not that sometimes you don't point out things about certain styles. I think that's mm-hmm. completely reasonable, particularly at the graduate level. I think you need to do yes. that because there are sounds that are acceptable in one venue that professionally aren't acceptable in another venue. Oh, exactly. Um, you, you know, I mean, it just is what it is. So there comes a point where I think style appropriateness matters, but I do my best to attempt to make the basic ped courses and anatomy and physiology at the graduate level. I try to make them and even acoustics. I'm doing my best to try to make them style agnostic. Yeah, very much. This is how the voice works. And then if you know how the voice works, you can apply it to the different styles. Yeah, I was just curious because, I mean, you've changed, you know, the books you use since I took the course a few years ago. Because when I took it, you you weren't using it like the whole thing. But we still use the McKinney. Like I own the McKinney because that was something we used that year. Really? Yeah. It was that recently? Mm-hmm. I didn't even realize it was that But it wasn't like you had us read the whole thing. It was select sections. Like you were moving away from it at that point. Uh, Yeah, that that sounds right. Which sort of... You were probably the last class I did that. I think so. I don't remember anybody else buying it. We didn't didn't even use it because it was the next year that I took your grad acoustics class, but just like as a senior. And you didn't use it for that or anything. Which, I mean, you wouldn't, but... Still. No, no, yeah, no, no, but, no. But you know what I mean. Like, I never saw it, it on a syllabus or used for anything like that again. Yeah, but I was just curious because, you know, that that is definitely something you have to decide when you're teaching. A, if, if I was going to teach a class, like, I would need to oh, absolutely. take a textbook or textbooks. Absolutely. So my next question is a little more generic teaching. Um So have you ever gotten like part of the way through the semester and based on either, I don't know, new information, something you've learned or maybe in reaction to your students and how they're reacting to the way you're teaching something or the information, have you ever decided to change track or do you just think next semester, next year, I'm going to do it this way and just, you know, you've already started and you just keep going the way you're going? Yeah, that's a fine question. And with my basic pedagogy course, Mm -hmm. what I keep calling my basic ped course, like ped one one, or whatever we want to call it, the answer is typically no. Okay. I've been teaching that course for so long and I keep evolving it every time. Yes. 
But honestly, there are just things that I need to cover in that class. Yeah. Makes sense, makes sense. With undergrad ped two, which is where I teach both the resonance stuff and where I do practicum. Those are the basically two topics of that course. I will say that most times I've ever taught that at the undergraduate level, mm-hmm. I end up evolving that course calendar as it goes. That makes sense. That makes sense. Even having taken that with you, that's that's pretty that would be my experience. <laughs> um I I'm a big proponent I mean, as you've seen in my syllabi, that I do lay out full semester calendars with readings and topics and whatever. Um, At the same time, I've learned that particularly with the graduate acoustics course, I've taught it enough times now that last semester when you and Leah did it, uh, you'll actually notice that I actually just gave us topics and had basic weeks but we went it on totally evolved and changed as we it, went. It totally evolved and changed. Now, Which is part of that with was that two people. we had a small course size. Yeah. And so when it's a small cohort, you can do that. Yes. If you're if you're like guiding someone, if you have a couple of students who want to do an independent study on this, yes. you can let it evolve over the course of the semester and they get to where they get. That makes sense. As opposed to like um, twenty students. Hopefully you class. still have objectives. You still have learning objectives that you try to meet. Yes. But but you can evolve the calendar and the readings and the assignments and stuff. But with a class, there have been semesters in undergraduate ped two where I have lost usually around like the time of an opera production or a musical or something. Yeah. And I have lost them. There was one semester I specifically remember in my over decade of doing this. Would I have been around it? Because I feel like I remember. Yes. Yes, I I think I know the semester you are discussing. Where I... and it was interesting that semester it was not the practicum portion of the course where I lost them it was just that particular cohort if I used even the word resonance all they heard was science 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 I recall which actually brings me to what would be my next question do you have ways to keep students from shutting down and once they do shut down in a situation like that is there a way to get them back? Yeah, normally I do my best to fight through it or to get them back. I mean, because here's what I don't like to do. I don't like to be the professor. I don't think it's good personally, educationally, philosophically to just say, well, here's the test. You got to pass it. You better darn well study. Yeah. Because what I don't want them to do is at the end, ever at the undergraduate level i never want them to hate or fear the subject yeah i want them to want to know more yes my very purpose is to for them to desire to have a greater awareness and a greater understanding and that they get the value that they start to see the value you know and it was funny in that particular semester when i felt like with the with the acoustics bit that I was losing them. When I would apply those concepts, when, when, so that semester in practicum, I was having various students, just random people they had never met come in and sing for them and they had to vocalize. Yes. 
and I would let them do their thing. And once they would finish, I would work with this, the, the, the guinea pig. I hate to use that word, but everybody knows what I mean. Yes. I, I would, I would work with the subject for a little bit. And then they, the students would just stand there sort of dumbfounded sometimes out of the noises that I got out of them. Yeah. And I was like, all I'm doing is applying in a practical way what the resonance about. concepts that I've been trying to get you to, you know, yeah. because here's what I find. I think one of the challenging things has been that singing teachers historically are very comfortable latching on to breath and teaching breathing and posture yes. because we can vi- vis- visually see it in the body. We think we have good definitions within ourself of what these concepts of appoggio and you know these kind of things oh, yeah. mean and do and whatever even if we're wrong but it it's comfy and and so uh and i even think thanks to sovtes we're getting better about understanding how to deal with the source mm-hmm. we, we all remember my Great tirade early in the podcast history on a muscle relaxant, still giving a graduate lecture on repertoire. (laughs) Um, Garcia talked about the source. Nobody talks about the source. Never let it die. Never let it die. Um, So never let it die. Garcia forever. Um, Hashtag. Um, But, but. Because uh, the acoustics bit can be intimidating and seem like so much physics, and I think because our models that we currently teach, and I'm looking at you, source filter theory, (laughs) are incomplete. Yeah. Because they are, it, it loses people. Yes, that makes sense. And... And then people don't want to teach with it. And then people, rather than having a comprehensive knowledge about maybe teaching with resonance concepts, maybe they know how to teach their own voice type. Yes, like, oh, well, this works for me, so... Or maybe their own gender, even. I mean, I hate to use genders again, but, but like, you know, or their own own staff that they sing on. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I mean... um, and maybe they get lucky essentially because again if you're a soprano and you're teaching primarily sopranos you might have more luck that yes because i mean you there's a decent chance that you're gonna even if you don't realize you're using similar resonance techniques or what you're telling the student is causing them to do that like they're gonna have a similar setup to you like right Yeah, I get that. I get that. Hmm. Where to go next with these questions? We're, we won't get to all of them, and that's probably fine. I'm trying to decide, like, if I have to pick one more. We could we could, could continue this next week. It might be good to continue this next week, honestly. Maybe. But for now, because we're at, like, what, 50 minutes? Yeah, yeah. we're fine. Um. Probably what I'll I'll use as my last question for now, potentially, would be, do you have tricks or, yeah, I'm going to stick with the word tricks, that you find help make resonance or just 
any sort of science-y pedagogical concepts more accessible to students who have never done this before. Like it's one thing with grad students who have probably taken a pedagogy course and have some realm of knowledge, but with undergrad students who just really have no idea, like, is there anything that you have found helps? Does that make sense? Does that question make sense to you? Yes. I think the biggest trick is getting them to hear it. That's a good point. As soon as you hear it, because look, singing teachers are nothing without their ears. That's true. At some point, teaching singing is about the ability to hear. That Yeah, that 100% makes because sense. Because if you lost your hearing as a singing teacher, you just couldn't do you it. Cannot, you should not continue to teach singing. Yeah. So, and I think there's something built into us as voice teachers that we understand that like things, things matter as soon as we hear them. And so as soon as you hear a singing voice for, okay, let's just use a couple of, a couple of examples. Okay. If you hear a incredible uh, tenor or baritone high note with a remarkable decrescendo, mm-hmm. okay, like as part of a messa di voce on something, and they end up from this like forte, forte sound to a very piano, pianissimo mm-hmm. thing, there's a massive change in the registration from the perspective of resonance Mm -hmm. and to going from a very full spectrum with a lot of high energy in the singer's formant region um going to what is essentially a fundamental driven noise on the decrescendo yeah and that's something that you can use the science, use a sciency kind of tool to show them what happened. That makes sense. Uh, likewise, thanks to the frequency filters, you can take a incredibly brassy female belter or male singer, rock singer, who seems exceedingly buzzy and maybe even raspy, and you can filter out most of the high frequency energy and realize that, oh, it's act that the, the, the tone is not raspy or that buzzy. Yeah. And, and, and therefore realize that that rasp and that buzz is probably not being generated by Any a sound. rasp at their vocal folds. Yeah. Um, you know, so I mean, it depends on the issue, but what I would say is the 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 biggest trick that I have found successful mm-hmm. is to get them and, and and when you can get them to hear different parts of their own voice. If you can get people interested in the noises, yeah, I think you can get them interested in the science. If you only are presenting this thing of listen to me sing, isn't that great? My first vocal tract resonance. Even that I think is a bit just like, well, yeah, you sound great. Who cares about your first vocal tract resonance? Yeah. 
let's filter out the first vocal tract resonance and hear what that sounds like. Yeah, that makes sense. Let's 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 sing down a scale if you're a soprano and and go from your high G where the first vocal tract resonance is so strong and hear you sing the whole way an octave down a scale and let's let's then hear what your fundamental sounds like an octave lower and hear what different parts of 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 the spectrum sound like an octave lower versus an octave higher and all of a sudden you might have a greater appreciation of what's going on and a reason to know okay now now run for me why when i sing that pitch an octave lower there is more uh energy in the buzz in the area of the singer's format in that region that's overlapping why is that happening and what is that contributing to the sound and filter that out and if you can get them realizing oh if i want to be heard over an orchestra and i'm a classical singing soprano and i'm singing a g4 yeah i better have some upper partial energy okay well how is that happening and if you can convince them that that matters and that that's important, then they might want to know more about the science. But look, that here's the sense. other thing I would say about that. Here's the other thing I would say about that. There will always be people who just don't care. Yeah. And that's, o- and that's okay too. Yeah. You don't have to win everyone. I, you know, I, I think it's honestly, even if you're a singing teacher, it's honestly okay if you don't know all this stuff and I don't know all this stuff. Nope. Nope. I mean, there, there's, there is stuff that I just, my brain can't keep up with. Yeah. And so it doesn't mean that I don't want to know it. It's just, there's also time and I'm also singing and I'm also teaching and I'm living a life and whatever. Um, But I I think we need to recognize that it is okay, particularly for a singer, to not know any of this information. Yeah. That makes sense. Because people have been singing well for hundreds of years. Without half of this. Although, as we have learned from reading the plomp, it's shocking how much, you know, really we have kind of known for years. Amazing. Yeah. But also then there's the level of what the singing teacher needs to know, which yes. I think I, here's my thing too. I think the, uh, this is a good takeaway actually sort of to, to end our talk about this for today. I think the thing with the singing teacher is if you do learn this information, if you can get interested and get to the point where you have, <laughs> where you have so some fun, <laughs> where get to the point where you have some functional working tools with vocal tract resonances yeah it will make you a way better teacher way faster that makes sense because you're not guessing where are these registration acoustic event registration events happening you know you can you can anticipate them at least have an anticipation of where they probably will occur and then base what you're doing around that or if you're lacking a certain part of noise in the sound which is so much of voice teaching Mm -hmm. it's not just hearing what's there it's hearing what's not there if you are aware of what's not there and you understand these acoustic and psychoacoustic concepts then you can become a way better teacher 
way faster. That makes sense. Yeah. And I know that there's still uh there 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 are a lot of things that I think that we've all learned from our teachers that just get passed down in a way as oral tradition and I think those things are important. But I also don't buy the theory that you just have to have been a teacher for 25 years and when you hit 25 years of doing it then you're a reasonably qualified teacher. I yeah. I'm sorry. I I'm a good voice teacher. Am I the greatest voice teacher in the world? No. I'm a good voice teacher. Yeah. I I know I know I am. And my results of my students speak to that. Have I been doing this for 25 years? No. no. And I've been training teachers for a good bit too. And I've put out some good voice teachers as well. And so I just don't buy anymore the idea that you have to have taught for X amount of years or have sung professionally for X amount of years to teach voice. Yeah. I'm not saying that there aren't like positions, for example, where you do need to have done certain things. For example, this week, the Yale Opera job got posted. Yes. The advertisement for it. And that job is probably the premier job that will be open in voice this year. Also, that job will very likely go to a very important big-name singer, and rightfully so, because the purpose of that position is that the individual is already in the opera industry and that they are opening doors for the students in that program. That is their purpose. Yes. And so they kind of have to have that. That requires a 20-year singing career. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Teaching a beginning voice lesson even teaching a collegiate voice lesson does not require that. And so we have to, we have to be considering, we have to be remembering as voice teachers that we are not always recreating ourselves. That's yeah. Cause that's easy to get caught up in. It's very easy to get caught up in. It's very easy. And so we have to do what's best for our students. We have to meet the student where they're at with all of this information, even in a class. Even in a class. Oh, uh, yeah. It's a lot. Like, And it's fun. it was fun to think about all of this this week because, I mean, I'm teaching two ensembles, so I'm kind of teaching a class, but I'm not teaching like a lecture class or anything like right. that. Like, I'm not really disseminating information. Um. So it's kind of interesting to think in the future because I would like to at some point and yeah. kind of think like, okay, well, you know, if I was starting out, what are the things I would need to know? And like I said earlier, I have a feeling there are things that like, you know, week one, I'd be like, oh gosh, how do you write a syllabus? No, nah, that's a real thing. How do you write a syllabus? Like I thought about asking that, but I was like, eh. That's a different question does, for a different Does talk. everybody else kind of just like, do we just copy each other's syllabuses a little bit? Tweak them, put your own spin. Is that how it goes? Having having read thousands of them because of my former service obligations as a curriculum uh, chair person at every level of the university when I was at WVU, yeah. uh, they don't all look the same, mm. and they actually don't look honestly uniform enough. Mm. Um, not that they all have to look the same, but I read some very poorly written 
syllabi over the years. Yeah. I've read many very poorly written oh, syllabi. I'm, I'm sure. And very poorly written sentences. <laughs> Where you're like, ooh, you teach college. <laughs> you teach doctoral students. Yikes. Yikes. Anyway, uh, so my wife and I are burning through Timeless. Timeless. I've never heard of that. Well, I have zero faith in this show oh. because it's really good and it was on NBC. And of course, like all decent shows on NBC that are sci-fi, they canceled it after a season and a half. Oh. But the season and a half that's there is like really good. I hate that. I hate when that happens. It, NB, NBC did it with the event. NBC did it with Revolution. Mm-hmm. It like it's NBC's thing. Like they'll they'll they're willing to like give try to produce a, a big sci-fi show, and they'll give it a season, and they'll give it some big cliffhanger or something, and poof, the show will disappear. Yeah, that's right. But if it's a but if it's a crime drama, oh, it's gonna be on there for years. It's gonna live on forever. Forever, forever. like. You- Beyond when you think it possibly, like, how? How is this still being made? So anyway, we're burning through Timeless right now. It's it's pretty good, actually, because we, we had actually searched for, we were like, what do we want to watch? And we were just sort of so frustrated with offerings and, and whatever. And we've seen so many of the good things. I, I would just want to go back. I think Perna's top pick of 2019 is still Russian Doll. Mm. Um, I think that's still my top pick of, of 2019. But... Uh, we uh we were searching for shows like The Man in the High Castle because uh. I was like, man, I, w- I wish The Man in the High Castle would come back because I'm, I'm like ready for like another season of that. Yeah. And uh, and obviously we're not going to get Doctor Who till January. Don't, and, don't, yeah. Or even summer maybe. Who, who knows? knows? Um, but uh, I, and, and I mean, obviously there's good content coming up because Disney Plus will launch November 12th. Pumped. I'm and, pumped. And then, and then The Mandalorian, you know, comes out. And so... Pumped. Um, burn through that in a weekend. Uh, weekend, day, like whatever. Uh, speaking of which, did I ever tell you that I did take advantage of the Disney Plus offer and I oh, got good. The three, I got the three years for the hundred and forty bucks. Hey, good. We we did not. So um, we'll probably regret that around November. So. Right. So I don't have to pay for it again until twenty twenty two. That's kind of fantastic. Honestly. Yeah. yeah. Hundred and forty bucks up front. Don't have to pay again until twenty twenty two for all of those Marvel shows. I know, I know. If there's another deal, I might just. I don't know. We might have to do it if, if they run get another the deal. D, get the free D twenty three membership. I didn't even know this thing, but okay. There's a free general membership for D twenty three that all essentially it does is send you emails from them. Oh, and then I can see like if they. But that's that you had to sign up for that to get the offer. Okay. Well, I'll have to do that. That so, way we can know if another offer. I was happy to get emails from D23 yeah. to get that deal. Oh, yeah. Same. I have like four anyway. emails at this point. I could hook it up to any of them. <laughs> I have so many emails right now. Like email addresses. Not emails. Like not literal emails, but email addresses. Yes. I have uh, one, two, three, four, five, uh, five. Same. Maybe? Same. Six. Six. I have five at the moment, and it's enough. It's out of control. It's, um, it's my laser. But, like, they're all for different things. And so it's right. not like I can just get rid of one. It keeps my life right. just 
slightly less chaotic. Exactly. That's Sarah, all. what'd you have for breakfast? A muffin. Did it have chocolate chips in it? Yes, but it also had protein. I got one of those little like muffins in a mug thing that I had done before where it's got like the 12 grams of protein in it. It's not as good as a normal muffin, but it's still pretty good. And it has protein, which means like I'm not dying right now. If I had just eaten a normal muffin, I would be fainting with hunger. But instead, I'm like, you know, I should probably make lunch when this is done, but I'm not going to pass out on you. I don't get to eat calories for another hour and 22 minutes. That's right. And uh, I, um, I'm actually in the middle of a cut again, trying to mm. do these these 21 weeks of training. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's good. It's good. It's good. I'm 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 I'm, I'm nearing in. I'm nearing in on no. Well, what I was gonna say is I'm actually nearing in on the big milestone. Like the big, big milestone. Oh. So I'm like I'm like eight pounds away from like the That's awesome. The big the big Okay. Like, if you were that like I get that then, because personally I'm I'm sitting here like I don't need to eat any more Oreos. But at the same time but if I was like well, eight pounds away from like big goal, big milestone, maybe I could like I could never intermittent fast. I, I would hundred yeah. percent pass out and die. But yeah. I, I could make the changes. I could push through well, to, to do that. I know that weight loss is a trigger thing for, for probably some of our listeners, and I don't, I don't mean to dwell on it, but I just, it's been, as as, as we have talked about before, it's been, it's been quite the journey. Actually, it's funny that my journey actually started the week we started the podcast. That's true. I forgot about that because, yeah, lots of big talks. Like, I remember Michael and us. Michael and I coming in to like talk about maybe the podcast and you told us stuff. Yeah, it was, it's been a, it's been a, it's been a whirlwind two years. It's been a, it has like, it doesn't feel like on the one hand, there are times when I'm like, Oh, didn't we just start podcasting yesterday? But then there are other times when I'm like, haven't I always been doing this? Right. And actually I I, I don't mind putting this at the end of the episode um, in case no one listens, (laughs) but uh to tomorrow when this drops we'll have passed uh 10,000 downloads I which know. i real which i realized to some of you big fancy podcasts is like well, we do that per episode um that's nice we're and we're happy for yeah. you vocal fry vocal fry realizes that we are a very niche we are serving a very niche audience yes and uh vocal fam we are here for you right sarah yes we are thank you yes. for listening to us so thank you for ten thousand listens. That's so uh, weird. I, I'm Who's still going to listen uh, to us ten thousand times. Uh, uh, our still our most downloaded episode is still Coffee with Legends. I mean, uh, really, are you surprised? Uh, Howell, Bozeman, and uh, Ballantine. But uh, our Avengers Endgame panel is so close to it because that it, was an it, awesome episode. Yeah. So anyway, but what a wonderful, beautiful view of Vocal Fry. Also, um, yeah, that those so, are our top two. Sorry, I'm trying to keep her from barking at the people in walking fact, by the window. In fact, in fact, Ken Bozeman and Joanne's episode is also like in our top like Again, three or four. Is anybody surprised? Um, as is, of course, Matt Edwards is in our top yeah. five too. All, all of these things are not surprising to me. Yeah, but I am so, glad that yeah. our top two are such a perfect representation of what we tend to of talk. this podcast. Of this yeah. podcast, 
Yeah, they are. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. all right, Vocal Fam, that is it for today. We are out. We'll talk to you next week. Bye. Peace. Ready to sign off? Yes.